please follow in the reading of God's word, beginning at verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you, I was in need. I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need and everything. And I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. What I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity in regard to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Verse 20. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself if anyone hits you in the face. Father, help us to hear in the warning that is given here and yet the counsel that is given here and the mandate that we have to look at this and compare the true servant, the true teacher, to the false servant and the false teacher. Lord, your word is ripe with this. Help us. Help us to not be gullible. Help us not to be tossed to and fro with every wave of doctrine. And help us to be men and women of your holy book. In Christ's name, amen. We've been dealing with the Corinthians and what was going on there. And now he is getting point blank to the problem in the Corinthian church. These accusers had come in after the Apostle Paul and had wanted to sow seeds of doubt about Paul's ministry. And then if you doubt Paul's ministry, then you can doubt his message, and they will lay something alongside. And if you look at verse 20, to enslave you. So what you have here in this section, 7 through 15 and verse 20, is a contrast between a true apostle and a false apostle. Now, I want to get something straight about apostles. Okay, apostolon is the word, or apostolade is the word that we call apostles. All right, there are many people who take the name apostle today. You would be surprised. Technically, in the apostolon word, all right, it literally means a sent messenger. Okay, occasionally you will see in the Greek text in the New Testament a definite article, the apostle. And it's at that point, the word apostle is capitalized. Now, I am adamant about what the Bible teaches on the definite article apostle. He has to see the risen Christ. There are people who are trying to take the definite article apostle today. And I always ask them that. Have you seen the risen Christ and when? Okay, because technically what I'm doing right now is an apostle. I am a sent messenger. I have studied for weeks. I have this message and I am pouring it out. I have not seen the resurrected Christ. These people who were accusing falsely the apostle Paul were trying to say they are equal to the apostle Paul. Which means what? They would have had to have seen what I mean by that. The person of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ looks you right in the eye and says, I have a message and a mission for you. Okay. now, I don't know about you, but if he shows up and does that to me, I'm going to cry like a baby. Okay, because I seen what these guys went through and I'm going to be going, oh, it ain't Azerbaijan, is it? (laughs) No, (laughs) but do you see what I'm trying to get? I can start a church in Barbados. No, (laughs) God told me. No, (laughs) 
But I, I want you to think about these things because if you use the, just a generic term, if you share the word of God, you're carrying out what an apostle does, a messenger does. But you know what? You can use the same word for angel. Okay? Angel is a messenger. Think about what the angels did in the Bible. When you see an angel, what's it doing? It's sitting on top of a Christmas tree. No. Okay? It's bringing a message. Where did the message come from? God. All right? So now I've got that all cleared up, and we all know exactly what an apostle is. And we've been going through this because the mark of a true one is humility. Okay? Humility is so rare today. When you see it, you know it. All right? I mean, across the board. They also, as Paul says here, the truth of Christ is in me. Okay, I know people who have the truth of Christ between their ears. I know people who can speak the truth of Christ. But in some cases, the truth of Christ is not in them. All right? You could take a college professor, have him read the text and explain the text. It does not mean the truth of Christ is in him. All right? There is a huge difference between being in him and I know what it says. All right? But they are also marked by love. All right. And what I mean by love is that self-sacrificing love for the people. All right. One of the one of the reasons that I have such a firm belief in my salvation is that I never cared for people. I, I never did. All of my life, they, people were something to be used they were something that would either bring benefit or was a pain in the whatever. All right. All of a sudden, God saved me and I had this passion for people. And I'm like, that's not fair. OK. And yet then look what he calls me to do. Well, I don't want to do that at all. But he says, no, this is what you're going to do. So that was one of the reasons that I always could say, no, I'm saved. Why? Because this ain't natural to me. All right. That is that love. It is the love that held Christ on the cross. That love that you will give yourself, spend yourself freely, regardless of what the response is. All right. Which brought us to the marks of the false. In verse 12, we've seen that they are pride. Why? He wanting to cut off the opportunity. Can you imagine the audacity of someone saying, I'm equal to the Apostle Paul? I mean, what does that take? Okay, I can't even carry Paul's tennis shoes. He probably didn't have any, but that's part, no problem. But you see what I'm trying to get at? I am, they think they're equal to me? Really? Do you know what Paul had been through just to this point? All right. And and yet they said, well, we yeah, we, you know, we studied in the desert with Jesus, too. All right. No, man, I, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine anybody, any human with any kind of duh saying I'm equal to Paul. I, I no. OK. And it's funny, he says, you know, I am equal to the most eminent apostles. And you're like, yeah, now, now Paul can say that. All right. But that was their pride, their arrogance. Part of what they were wanting Paul to do was to get paid. Why? Because if he gets paid, then I'll feel bad about taking your money. And let me tell you something about false teachers. They want money. Okay. They want, you know, you're going to fly me on a private jet. You're going to put me in a hotel. You know, what are you going to give me to come and do this? All right. And I don't care. That's, that's why when you look at some, when the socialist curtain fell down, the Soviet Union blew up. All these churches ran in there. And then they realized the degree of poverty that was there. And all of a sudden, all of the false teachers says, well, there ain't no cash here. And that's why they left. All right. The one that I want to deal with today is verses 13 through 15. And it is Deception. 13 through 15 could be your key verse to deal with the marks and the character of a false teacher. 
a false servant. This is the reason, these verses right here, 13 through 15, is the reason that Paul can't give in. All right? He can't be on their level. They can't be on his level. There is absolutely no way that he can even be compared to them. All right? Why? Why is that so urgent? Because I told you a couple of weeks ago, there's one war that is going on. There's only one. It manifests itself in a whole bunch of ways, but there's only one war going on. Truth versus the lie. Okay? Truth versus the lie. You you don't believe me? Why do we have people today who have people who will give spin to what it is I'm saying? I, I mean, I watch people try to spin what the Apostle Paul says. Well, what he really meant. No, I'm pretty sure I know what he really meant. It's written right there in front of you. You may not like it, but that's, you know, because I've heard it. Well, he was a woman hater. What do you mean he was a woman hater? Well, he says a woman is to submit and not be in leadership. You know what? He gives the biblical reason for it. Eve was deceived. That's why he did it. That's why he says, we don't want people who can be deceived in leadership. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So, we, we, when I look at this and the stand that he takes, truth is at stake. Alright? But, you know, when you read these verses, just with a cursory reading, let me just read this for you a second, and let me see if you can see how vague he is. Alright? For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That seems kind of to the point, doesn't it? I mean, you know, what spin would you like to put on that? He is... And today, this is so appropriate today. He is not going to sacrifice truth for unity. All right? And let me tell you something. You take a stand on truth, you better put your Kevlar on. And I don't care who it is. He uses a phrase here, verse 13, such men... These would be the false, the accusers. They are referred to a lot in this letter, but he uses different pronouns. Chapter 10, verse 2. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with confidence, which I am proposed to be courageous against this confidence. Courageous against some who regard us, okay, that sum right there is his accusers. Verse 12, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, and when they measure themselves by themselves, they compare themselves with themselves. That some of those and themselves... That's who he's referring to. Chapter 11, verse 4. If one comes, that one. If one comes. Alright, that's who he's talking to. That is the such men in verse 13. If you go verse 5. I consider myself not the least inferior to the most eminent apostle. These super apostles. He uses that phrase again in chapter 12. These eminent apostles. These super apostles. Apostles, right? Those men. It is these false teachers who are accusing the Apostle Paul of not caring for the Corinthians because his message wasn't of any value because he wasn't charging for it. He didn't love them. And the reason that they want to sow the seed of doubt against the Apostle Paul is that they want to teach error. Now, I... You know my little sick humor. Think that this is hilarious. 
All right. And here's the reason that I, in my sick way, think this is hilarious. Somebody standing up at the pulpit reading this letter and he gets to this part and he says, for such men and everybody in the church knows these people by name, not only by name, where they live. And he reads it. These such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And everybody in the church is going. Hey, Mikey, he's talking about you. And it's not really flattering. So, you know, and there's a question would be, you know, if they're sitting in the back, then everybody's going to be doing this. Okay. But their arrogance is not going to let them sit in the back. The arrogance is going to set them up front. But every, as you read this letter, these guys, you tell, I think I keep me crawl under the pew. Or, you know, remember the young man, he was preaching and he fell out the window. Where's the window? Okay. Because this, this has got to be one of those, you're like, uh-oh. I mean, you don't really have to say, wonder what Paul was getting at. What, what do you suppose his implications would be in this? These are the guys in chapter 2, verse 17, that he referred to who were peddlers of the word of God. They were hucksters. They were not from God. They were doing it for the money. They manipulate and they corrupt the word of God. And Paul is that is what Paul is referring to. And that is what Paul is speaking of. Okay, I know at the reading of this, you got heads turning. All right. People are going, oh, geez, I think you made Paul mad. Okay, but I want you to note something here. Because here's a flaw that we have in the church in America today. There's something that is missing in that. For such men. You know what he notices? You know what's missing in that? He doesn't call them brothers. What does he call them? False apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. He doesn't say they're brothers. He doesn't say that, you know, these guys are just misunderstood. These people need to be pitied. He says, no. They are pseudo. You see what Paul calls them? And you know what happens if you do that today? That sure is mean-spirited language. All right? It doesn't look like the Apostle Paul was tolerant. Because I can be honest with you, if you're sitting there, this is not pleasant. See, when truth is at stake... It is not pleasant. When the honor of God is at stake, it is not tolerant. When the honor of Christ is at stake, it isn't gracious. When the honor of the truth of the gospel is at stake, it needs to be blunt. It needs to be put in such a framework that there's no wiggle room. You know, well, these guys mean well, and they're just really close. They're just not quite there yet. Nope. They're false. There is no room for tolerance when it comes to truth. Paul is not pulling any punches here. Look at what he calls them. And you know what? The critics today don't like people like Paul. Paul would have an extraordinarily hard time in the church in Casarock, Colorado today. Very difficult time. Today in the body of Christ, and if I just keep it, I could go across the United States, but if I keep it specifically to Casarock, there is not a lot of conviction going on. But there is a plethora of tolerance going on. All right. Truth is always intolerable to those 
who are defined by error. They don't like truth. They don't like it at all. Those who complain the most about truth are those who have the most to lose if their error is exposed. Remember, why are they doing it? For the money, for the fame, for the prestige, for the titles. What do you have to lose when the truth invades your soul? But some believe it is important to protect their error, their job. Listen, one of the things I have noticed in my 20 years as a pastor, in my 30 some odd years as a believer, no, that's not like 50, okay? And some of you guys are like, dude, you don't look that old. But anyway, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's all in one, all right? A true servant, a, 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 a true teacher is a student of Scripture, all right? They're a student. You will find them in the Scriptures all the time. They don't have to be in a crowd to be in the Scriptures. They're quiet times. They'll be in the Scriptures, They're always seeking more. They're always meditating more. And they want to hear truth. I remember hearing a professor one time had a real thick southern... Jeez. I mean, southern accent is, is an understatement. And he had no voice inflection. Okay, it was just... I talk like this. And the guy was brilliant. But you know, you kind of get under, I turn to Isaiah 53. Why? <laughs> okay. Do I have to? Okay. But that was, that was what it was like to listen to it. But you know what? You absorbed it because he spoke truth. You, you did, you wasn't sure he was alive, but he was at least speaking it. All right, and and then that accent, dude. You know, I would like to see him read some of the genealogies out of Genesis, because <laughs> I imagine you get that on YouTube. All right, but anyway, you can tell a person's love of truth by how they respond to truth. What do they do when truth confronts them? Because I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been with the Lord. I don't care any of that thing. When there's going to be parts of that book that are going to hit you right in the solar plex. And you're going to sit there and go, what? All right. And there's nothing you can get around it. I mean, you're looking at the holiness of God and you. Okay. At some point, there's going to be a clash. Okay. When it is against what they believe or against what they teach, what happens? They fight back in anger. Every single time. That's why Isaiah was taking on the false prophets of his day. Let us reason together from the scriptures. Okay? You know how hard that is to get somebody to do? If you convict them of something, they get mad and start the Second Baptist Church. That's what they do. Gosh, I don't know how many that I have seen. The reason is, and I I steal this from a guy named Linsky, is that, quote, unquote, they are chained in their error. Their error has now become their master and their bondage. And you know why? They believe that their error will serve their purpose. They'll serve their purpose. Uh, truth is intolerable to those who are disguised. Alright? False are always, always, always intolerable of truth. They always believe anything but truth. And you know what? They will fight to protect the deception. They will fight to protect the deception. Those who want anything but truth will embrace error. You know what error is? It's a nice way of saying a lie. Okay, You can't have a little truth 
or sort of truth. That's sort of like saying, well, it's just a white lie. Well, what the heck is that? Is that a holy lie? What is a white lie? A lie is a lie is a lie. Today, it's, it's astonishing to me. People will come into my office occasionally and they'll hear my radio and they say, well, you are listening to secular music. And I said, uh, yeah. And they said, well, how can you listen to secular music? You know why? I don't have to discern it. Okay, I know what this is about. I listen to some of the Christian music that is out there. Why ain't that on a secular station? All right. I, I mean, am I going to listen to Led Zeppelin? I know what their gig is. I know what they're about. But I listen to some of the stuff that we call Christian music. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know what this is about. It sounds just like everything else. And it includes to those. There are some. Now, listen, there are some guys out there. I, I love Alistair Begg. OK, I love David Jeremiah. Uh, I like uh, John MacArthur, of course, uh, and, and some guys that teach. And, and that one guy, I can't remember. He's an apologist. He's got a, like an Indian accent. Ah, I can't remember. Yeah, Robbie Zacharias. I, I like him, too, because he gets off on stuff. You're like, whoa, he thought that up. But anyway, <laughs> how, how did he do that? But, but you know, I like some of these. But there's people on there. I ain't going to listen to them. Okay? I and, and the TV shows, there's only one on. Well, there's a couple of them on TV, but usually they're when I'm teaching. So I don't get to see them. But I don't, I don't watch the Christian television shows. Because you listen to them. And then put these tests to them and see what you come up with. Alright? And you'll save yourself a whole bunch of wasted television time. Okay? Go watch a football game. Why? I know what it's about. Listen, today it seems that every proclaimer of error, error, and there is a bunch of them, is hailed as a herald of God and Christ. They speak for God and Christ. But at least they are the people that listen are either unsaved or the most gullible people that have ever walked the planet Earth. Even more so possibly than the Corinthians. And they were boobs. You say you're from God, you know what? You can say anything. You know the greatest heresies to ever be infiltrated into church? Do you know where they're founded at? They, every one of them started in the same place. You know where they came from? Well, it came from Satan. No. How did they get into the church? You know where they came from? Seminary. Every stinking one of them. Where we got our great brain power together, we're all going to sit there, contemplate our narcissistic navel, and come up with something new. You didn't think I could say that, did you? But you know what I'm trying to get at? That I look at it. Go chase them down and watch. Okay? Every one of them. I look through history and I'm sitting there going, you know, but what we do now, he came out of seminary. You know that the average seminary student that comes out of Denver, Sim? doesn't know the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and they believe that the God of the Old Covenant is different than the God of the New Covenant, and these guys are pastors. That's brilliant. They believe that you were saved by works in the Old Testament. You see what I'm, How do you get that? Well, I talked to the president of the seminary. You're reaping what you sow. You're training these guys. They're sitting under people who have, you have trained, and this is what you're getting out. And that's mind-numbing to me. You say you're from God, you can say anything. But if you bring truth to bear in the power of God, those who are deceived will retaliate and they will do it viciously. You don't believe me? I took a stand against promise keepers before it ever had a rally. You would have thought I was Satan incarnate. But this is for men. I don't care what it's for. I sat and listened to Coach McCartney's pastor. He's on another planet. I don't, I haven't, I don't, he even ruined my donut. And I said, no, I ain't going to get in part of this. This guy's a, a, a moron. He's a heretic at best. 
He said that God told him, which always kind of, what? God told me that he was going to do away with apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers. And he was going to start reaching people through music when he can find a God-fearing musician. He tried it with the Beatles, but they didn't stay. He tried it with Elvis, and he didn't stay. So he's still looking for somebody. And he told me that with a straight face. He called it the anointing of the blue guitar. He had a name for it. And I'm sitting there going, what? And you want me to come and be a part of your ministry? There ain't no way. I don't care. No, it's got to be of God. Look at all the people. That don't mean nothing. Jesus fed 5,000. They wanted to make him king. As long as you keep feeding us. You see what I'm trying to get at? I came out against focus on the family. It's humanistic psychology. Okay? Man fixing the soul. How do we do that so well? Do you know who the father of psychology is? Sigmund Freud. He wrote a wonderful paper. I read it on paranoia. It's a phenomenal paper. You know why? He was doing a bunch of cocaine. Okay, if you do a bunch of cocaine, guess what you end up with? Paranoia. So I'll write a paper. Duty's brilliant. And so now I'll tell you how to fix that. Yeah, quit packing your nose. You're, look, it's a miracle. And your soul is fixed and everything. Okay, but, but I came out against it. And everybody said, well, you can't do that. Look at what God's doing. Well, why would I want to listen to the father of cocaine? But you see what I'm trying to get at? Because, see, when you come out against that, you get yourself in hot water. And here I am in Castle Rock. I've got these guys down in Colorado Springs. I've got these guys up in Boulder. And everybody thinks I'm the Antichrist. And it's... Maybe I've been in town too long. Listen, they will attack you. And yet, my Bible mandates that I speak out against it. And I hang out a lot with Paul. And I think Paul is blunter than I am. Okay, the tie, the words you see there are false apostles, pseudo apostolon. Okay, they claim to be equal with Paul. He says they're false. They are messengers. Don't kid yourself. But they're disguised to be as being messengers of Christ. Whenever you see a word, there's three times in three verses a same a same word. Okay, you know what it is? Disguised. Disguised. They claim to be equal to Paul. It's the same as the Old, Old Testament false prophets that you see Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah all dealing with. Jesus warns us that in Matthew twenty four twenty four, many false Christs will arise. Now, how arrogant do you have to be to claim to be Christ? But David Koresh did. You know, every day... I think it's April the 20th. Is it April the 20th? I think it's April the 20th. People gather at that burn site in Waco for his resurrection. Why? Because he said he was. You know, it's been more than three days, guys, right? They don't mind making claims and they will flash their credentials at you. I have my masters in divinity. What the heck does that mean? My grandma used to make divinity. I'm not allowed to eat it anymore, so I'm not impressed by divinity. Don't be surprised at their arrogance. I have seen this, I have seen this, I have seen this. They have come to the church. And they say they are the true messengers of Christ. They speak for God. He has given them a message. You will hear it today this way. God has told me. You know what I call that? You're hearing voices. (laughs) You may want to turn the TV up. I don't know. God has given me power. And you know what? You can't question us 
because we have the real truth. Okay, now you 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 sit there and you think, well, that's crazy. Really? The cyclical is coming out in this spring. You know what that is, right? Pope's coming out speaking ex cathedral. You know what that means, right? God told him what to say. And he writes it down and publishes it. And you know what you can do with it? You can't argue with it. And you know what he's going to write on this spring? It should be awesome. Climate change. <laughs> what I need is another expert telling me summer, winter, fall, and spring. <laughs> he's been doing it for a long time. I, do you see what I'm trying to get at? And they people, and you don't answer, you don't question it. It's unquestioned. Jesus defines these people in Matthew chapter 7 as false apostles, false prophets, false teachers, and inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. You know what ravenous wolves do? They kill for the sake of killing. They'll eat some, but they'll just keep killing. Let me tear it apart. Let me give you one that is really stunning to me that I kind of stumbled into. It comes out of the letter that Luke wrote, a history kind of of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 15, beginning there in verse 23. This is the Jerusalem council. Okay, To get that in your head, this is the first church. Okay, James, the Lord's half-brother, is the pastor of it, but he's got an elder body that would just drive you nuts. I mean, you've got the 12 apostles and, and, and Peter keeps opening his mouth and you get 5,000 new members and here's 3,000 new members and shut up, Peter. Okay. Anyway. It, it, Paul had come down from Antioch, Syria with Barnabas and they were going through it because they didn't know for sure if Paul was legit. And so Barnabas brings him down and he's legit. And then they start dealing with it, it, things. And so they write a letter. All right, for Paul and Barnabas to take back to Antioch, Syria. Here's what it says. And they sent a letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are the elders to the brethren in Antioch, Syria, Sicilia, and the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we have gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls. You know what that is? Some people were coming out of Jerusalem, came into claiming to be part of the Jerusalem church and were teaching error and it was confusing people. And they were telling everybody that their credentials were from the 12 apostles and the pastors and elders of the first church on the planet Earth. Now that's credentials. It seems good to us. Having become with one mind to select men to send to you our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. True teachers, true apostles, true preachers will risk their lives. Danger is not an issue to them. False will not. And he says, we are sending to you these two men because we know who these guys are. The true are always willing to lay their lives down for the task that the Lord has set upon them. If you go to Romans 16, you can look at it later. Romans 16, such men are not slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are slaves of their own appetite. They do what their desires tell them to do. How many people have you seen doing that these days? This will make you feel better. They are smooth, they are flattering, and they are deceiving. They are driven by their lust, and they are driven by their desires. False always have great claims. They claim to speak for God. And you know what? If you question them, then you are questioning God. Back to our Corinthian text. They are deceitful workers. Chapter 12, verse 16. But if they say, but be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Now he's been, he's back to the sarcasm stuff. 
Okay, and he uses the same term. They are deceitful. What is that? I tricked you. You know what it is? They're basically liars. Titus chapter 1, verse 10. These are the ones who are rebellious and empty talkers. If you really want a great word study, check out the Greek terminology for empty talkers. They poof. That's literally what it means. It's just a bag of air. Poof. It doesn't do anything. Especially if they haven't brushed their teeth. But anyway. He tells Titus they, they must be silenced. Why? They upset whole families. Why? They just go poof. Speaking things that are not true. They come in and they go to work. Claiming one thing, doing another. They claim apostleship. Why? Because that is their foundation for the deception. Let me tell you what I've learned. Let me tell you where I went to school. Let me tell you who I studied under. Okay? And everybody goes, wow. Whoa. I know a guy, R.A. Linsky used to, uh, was a professor of New Testament in, at a seminary, a Lutheran seminary in uh, Columbus, Ohio. How about the Buckeyes? No, anyway. Uh, but uh, I read him. Uh, there's times, though, you have to... Uh, he's, he's not like as bad as Arthur Pink, but every once in a while he's like, uh, he had your tharsis out, didn't you? Okay, and, but I know a guy right now who had him as a professor. And he... Did you sleep in that class? How in the world could you sit under Linsky and not just be in awe? That's, but I see that a lot. I see that a lot. They want a foundation. Why? Because then they can deceive. Why? Look at what I have. We are from the Jerusalem church. We hung out with James, the Lord's half-brother, and, of course, the twelve apostles. Okay? I mean, that there's a, that's the rock and roll church, man. Them guys got it down. I mean, they preached one message and 5,000 men got saved. Which means, was that 10,000 because some of them were married? I mean, they're doing it. That's where I studied under. I'm equal to Paul. Really? They believe they are apostles. The congregations do. And guess what? They now have a base to work off of. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Some said, I am of Paul. Some said, I am of Cephas. Some say, I am of Apollos. And of course, you have the heavenly ones who said, I am of Christ. You know what I call that? Personality cults. You want to know how good that works? You guys can do your own Bible study. I'll just give you the chapters. The book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah loved false teachers. Okay? Had a lot to say on them. Okay? So you go check out Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 17 and Jeremiah 23, and you will truly be impressed with these people. They set up great titles. I have my doctorate in divinity. I have my doctorate in theology. I have my whatever. Right? I've been reading my Bible every day for 35 years, and I still don't get it all. Right, and then I'm like the prayer I read this morning. (laughs) Half the time I can't even remember what I read. In Ephesians chapter five, verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words, hot air. Don't be a part of this. Listen, you and I used to be in the darkness. We're in the light now. Colossians chapter two, verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive. Through philosophies and empty deception. It will put you in bondage, people. They are all around us. You know, one of the favorite texts of mine is out of 1 John chapter 4. It says, try every spirit. And if you take that word try back to the original, it literally means to measure it. To measure it. How does it line up? Don't just accept what a person says. Test it. 
Listen, I don't want you guys to say, well, it's obvious he knows what he's talking about because look, he's got a suit on and he's waving his arms and he's yelling at us. Okay, so he must know what it is. Right? No! Hold it up to the book! They are everywhere and they are following the father of lies. Chapter 2, verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians. Paul tells the Thessalonians they are deceptions of wickedness. But you know what's amazing about that context? God will send a deluding spirit upon them that they will be kept from seeing truth. You know, everybody keeps saying, well, you know, the lost people know what Revelation says. They can grab a Bible, they can read it, and they can see that the end of the age is coming. No. God sends a spirit on them so they can't see it. You know what they call that in the New Testament? Judgment. That verb you see there, back to our text, verse 13, um, disguising themselves. It literally means masquerading. You don't know who you're talking to. It's more intense than Hippocrates. Hippocrates has to do with an actor. They put a mask up and, you know, it's one of them little silly smiling masks. And you look, they're happy and they're just mad at the world on the inside. Okay, this is more intense than that because they're intentionally do it. They have a mask so it is not obvious. Who are you talking to? Why? You've got to understand this. That mask, that masquerading or that disguising themselves is the subtlety. Why? I am going to hide my lies. Verse 14. No wonder Satan. Does what? He masquerades. Satan comes in to seduce the church. That is who he is. That is what he does. And yet he claims to be an angel of light. A messenger of light. Now being that he's a fallen angel, he claims to be an angel of light. Yet, where is his kingdom described as? Darkness. The kingdom of light is where? God's. God is light. There is no darkness in him, First John says. Christ is the light of the world. In Him, we have the light of life. We are to walk as children of the light. We are in the light. We are children of truth versus the children of the lies. Listen, what, what Paul's getting at right there, and you, you really got to get a hold of this, we have nothing in common. Satan doesn't come as an angel of darkness. He comes as an angel of light. He comes masquerading. He comes disguised. He comes pretending to be coming from the kingdom of God. He has seductive doctrines that sound like truth. They're close. And yet they are promoted by hypocritical pseudo-teachers. The word pseudo in Greek is false. They all claim to represent God in Christ. Now I want you to think about this for a second. In Romans chapter 8 verse 29, that is the reason you were saved. Okay? 8.29 says, and it deals with predestination and all that, it makes everybody happy when they read it, but... Read the text because it's really good because it says you were saved to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's why you were saved. Yes, you get to go to heaven, but the reason you were saved was to be conformed into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29. All right. So do you understand that God produces his character in his children? All right. I mean, you want to talk about a miracle. Behold, in a mirror, we are being transformed, what? From glory to glory. Guess what? Satan produces his character in his children. Why? 13, 14, and 15 of this text says that they are disguised. They are masquerading. What is the character of Satan? 
He masquerades. He disguises. He can't tell you truth. That is the pattern of his character. If you read this text and you understand he has a multiplication factor that he causes his people to masquerade. The whole deal is a masquerade. The whole deal is an illusion. Now listen, I got some quotes here from some really smart people. Uh, and, and I forgot to write them down, but I can tell you that one was Spiros Zodiades, one was John Calvin, and one was uh, R.A. Linsky. Okay, so I'm just going to give them to you because I, I read these and I was like, boy, that's good. Here's one, and it's a quote, and I don't know who. <laughs> okay, but, quote, Satan is the most effective in the church when he comes not as an open enemy, but as a false friend. Unquote. Okay, listen, I got news for you. You cannot be betrayed by an enemy. Did you know that? Enemy can't betray you. False friends can. All right. Here's another one. Um, Quote, Satan's greatest effectiveness is not when he attacks the church, but when he joins it. Unquote. Now, this one here I know is from Calvin. All right. I I just have to remember because Calvin believed that the most holy place on the planet Earth was the pulpit. All right. Here's what he said. Satan is not dangerous, quote, when he attacks the pulpit, but when he stands in it. Unquote. Let me tell you something. This is so important for today. All right. Christianity today is arguably more gullible right now. There's a stretch between 500 A.D. and 1500 A.D. that I think we're going to outdo. Okay, that's when everybody says, if you live here, you're a Catholic. And that's when Roman Catholicism actually corrupted Christianity. And that's in 1500 is when you have what we call the Reformation. But anyway... I think we're going to outdo that. All right. Here's what I mean. Look at Christianity today. And it looks around. All right. It sees abortion. It sees homosexuality. It sees immorality. It sees the breakup of the family. It sees pornography. The materialism of our society, our culture. The ethical problems that exist across the board. Our cultural and moral issues. Christianity's looking at this. It even looks at women's liberation and how it has fractured the home. And we get upset about it. But you know what's amazing about that? Think about it for a second. Is that obvious? Let me tell you something. Killing unborn children, is that subtle? All right, homosexual agenda, is that subtle? Let's make drugs legal. Now that's subtle. All right, none, none of that is subtle. Right? And the church, um, being so gullible, says, that's the attack. It gets concerned about that. And all of a sudden it gets up in the air about it. But there's nothing subtle about it. And we muster our forces to do battle. You know, we need to save the morality of our culture. We get together and we unite. Right? But we do what we must deal with something first so that we can unite. And it happens every stinking time. We have to make something in the body of Christ a non-issue, so that we may unite. You know what it is? Truth. Because let me tell you something about all those things I just read off. Muslims hate it. Mormons hate it. The Catholics hate it. The Jehovah's Witnesses hate it. Shall we unite? And the only way you're going to unite with these people is if you jettison truth. We go win these little battles. 
We got the nativity scene back in front of the courthouse. We won. Yet, we have been totally defeated because the war is for truth. We are gullible and we give up the only thing that we have that is worth anything. We just accept the Mormons, we accept the Catholics, we accept the Muslims. Why? Because their morals are like ours, and ours are all biblical. I was reading, and a, a Catholic apologist, don't ask me why, you know, sometimes you just get tired of comic books. Um, and his argument was that all, a lot of the Muslims are going to go to heaven. Because they are seeking what is right, they just haven't found it. Now that one, that's crazier than a loon. But then I read on. A lot of atheists are going to go to heaven. Because they are seeking truth, they just can't seem to find it. Really? I remember when the Mormons would never call themselves Christians. Guess what they call themselves now? Catholics do it too. Catholics did. When I was grow, I used to run with a guy who was hardcore Catholic, and he called himself Catholic. Do you know what they call themselves now? Christians. If we're all united, we can win our cultural war that we are in and get our moralities back. Doctrine should not be an issue. I know evangelical pastors in this town right now who tell me that doctrine is too boring to be taught in church. So what is it you speak on? We win that battle of setting aside doctrine, then I can tell you what happens. We will be eaten by a roaring lion. It's that simple. Okay. Now I'll give you some hope. I'm, I don't want to bum you out. He hasn't swallowed yet. All right. But that is how gullible we are. We abandon truth for the sake of tolerance in the name of love and grace. And if you abandon truth, it is not loving nor gracious. Any messenger of Christ should not be questioned. That's what they tell you now. If this is a pastor and he's standing up there and he's been to school and he got in the mega church and he's church growth and look at what he's done. He should never, ever be questioned. Really? What did the Bereans do? Do you know who their messenger was? The Apostle Paul. And he came with the good news of Jesus Christ. And what did the Bereans do? They checked the scriptures to see if what he said was true. You know what they call that? Trying the spirit. Measuring the spirit. Does that line up? And you know what Paul called the Bereans for questioning him? Noble. You had better question the teacher. Question me. Please. Hold up what I'm saying to the light of Scripture and see if it's true. Because you know what? If it's not, help me. Because mine is a harsher judgment. If we are to take truth and we're going to set it aside, we will be able to win this important cultural war. Really? There is a homosexual pastor in Denver. She and her pastorette or whatever that work. In a Quaker church. How does that work? I've seen this happen in, like I said, in 500 to 1500, uh, and the remnant was very, very small by the 1500s. But then it moved out from uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin. We need to know where the battle is, people. I told you that the battle is for truth. Do not be gullible. Listen, here comes Satan's children. Here comes Satan's servants. And you know what? When they walk in, you know what the first thing you're going to think of is? Well, he don't look satanic. He ain't got horns, a tail, or a pitchfork. You know, he ain't got no pentagram, 
goat's head soup, or any of that stuff. Why? They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. I got into trouble about servants of righteousness years ago. Mother Teresa died. Okay? She died. And I had a conversation. I used it as an illustration. I was teaching out, I think, First Peter. Well, it's been second. Anyway. And I said, her theology does not allow her into heaven. Okay, her theology says that Mary should be on the back side of the cross as co-redeemer. All right. You know, I had families leave the church because I could say that. But is Mary co-redeemer? But they attacked me. I was mean-spirited. But I did not call her a false apostle or a deceitful worker. Or a fallen angel or any of that other stuff. See, I have grace. Listen, people serve righteous purposes. What they believe is righteous purpose. And they try to do it because, you know, they are concerned about peace in the world. They're concerned about doing good, doing right. And of course, there is a word that you need to remember that you see in verse 13, 14, and 15. They disguise themselves. They are not on the surface. And yet, when I watch shallow, immature, gullible, indifferent people, I know for a fact when I deal with them, they will be seduced. Why? They can't stand against the deceit. Why? They're disguised. Look, he doesn't look satanic. Okay? And you just sit there and you go, what? And yet, we're willing to jettison truth because we want tolerant unity. For what purpose? For what purpose? A person tells me that they believe that Mother Mary should be on the back of the cross as co-redeemer. You're wrong. And that's out of the pit of hell. Okay? Now, when you confront that and they believe that, you will have an issue. But the mandate in Scripture is what? Measure it. See if it's there. See if it's real. And, you know, there is so much that could be said on this topic, but I've probably said too much already. All right, everybody's going to look at, he doesn't like Mother Teresa. <laughs> so, you know what? It doesn't really matter who I like. <laughs> I got news for you. But what I am saying is, the true servants, when it says the word of Christ is in me, the true servant, the word of Christ is in them. All right? And they will not Jettison truth. You can't. If it, the word of Christ, word, the truth of Christ is in them, where would they get rid of it at? It's not like, well, I'll just put it in another pair of pants. You can't get rid of it. And when it becomes the passion of your being, when error shows up, you have to say, well, I think that's wrong. Okay? That's why in some of my meetings that I have, I will ask people, pastors, and where is that in the Bible? And they know exactly what I'm getting at. Alright? So, I want you to understand this, that when you think about the false, one, they're prideful, two, they're disguised. Alright? They don't look satanic. But you're either following Christ or... Satan, there isn't a neutral place. I'm going to go to Switzerland. You know, it's theologically neutral. I, I just want you to understand, you're either following the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. Okay, and you will know it. If you stay, spend time in the Bible, you will know it when you're dealing with it. I guarantee it. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. Father, and what he means to me and what your word means to me.
Father, I pray as we step into this new year, we would great anticipation expect immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. Let it overwhelm us. Father, let us not be deceived. Let us not be indifferent. And Father, let us be humble. Let us be absorbed in your truth. And let the love of Christ that's been poured into our hearts pour out into all that you bring into our lives. Thank you. Thank you for this letter. Thank you that there is evidence that the Corinthian church turned correctly. And Father, thank you for protecting this church. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.